0: Hey everyone, welcome to Shrink's Talk Shop, where psychotherapy experts share their thoughts with you. And you don't have to be a therapist to listen. First, a quote from this week's speaker.
1: So if you say a someone who was assigned male at birth is now identifying as a female, um, but maybe got married to a woman when they were still identifying as male, and transitioned, does that mean that now they're gay if they're still in this relationship with a woman.
0: That's Rena McDaniel, and this interview is on the subject of the language of the transgender world. And in a few minutes, we're going to be listening to an extended interview with her, which is the first in a series of podcasts from On Good Authority. I'm Barbara Alexander, the founder and president of On Good Authority, which is a website where mental health professionals can listen to interviews with psychotherapy experts and earn the continuing education credits they need to renew their licenses. And I hope these podcasts will be interesting and informative to everybody. I'm a clinical social worker, and I started this company in 1992. Since then, I've interviewed hundreds of experts, and now I'm going to share some of the best of them with you. We live in a binary world, either or, male, female. Most people are comfortable with their gender identities. It's part of their nature, and perhaps they rarely consider or have any strong sense of being male or female. Most gay people never doubt their gender identities. Plenty of transgender people are homosexual, but as we see with Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, many are not. The Williams Institute, a think tank in Los Angeles, recently came up with an estimate of 1.4 million Americans, that's six-tenths of a percent of those aged 16 to 65, who consider themselves transgender. Our speaker here, Rena McDaniel, has extensive experience working with trans people of all ages, and she shares this with us here. Rena is a licensed professional counselor and founder of Practical Audacity, which is a gender and sex therapy group and healing collective. The Practical Audacity website states as its mission, quote, We are queer-identified, aligned, trauma-informed professionals who work with folks feeling anxious and lost about a transition they've experienced or they are experiencing in sex, gender identity, or relationships. We work with you to help uncover more of who you are so you feel confident in your own skin. We provide you with the support you need to go from feeling broken and alone to whole and part of a community, end quote. And now here's the interview. There are so many aspects, Rena, to this subject of working with transgender folks and especially older transgender people there are so many issues, but what I'd like to do is start out with the subject of pronouns and language, because that, that confuses a lot of people. Yeah, that's definitely a sticking point for folks. So if, if you could talk to us about the language changes and, and the pronouns we need to use to be careful and sensitive and respectful.
1: Sure. So there's a lot to be said about this topic, so I know I won't get everything in there. Um, The first thing that I wanted to talk about were just some general principles, though. I think a the reason that a lot of people get really stuck on language and pronouns is that their intentions are really good and they're really afraid to make a mistake. And so it kind of freezes them up, which really cuts off a lot of connection to folks who are transgender because they're so afraid of offending someone that they just don't connect. So first of all, we, I just want to let people off the hook that they're going to make mistakes when it comes to language, when it comes to pronouns, and that's okay. Um, that's really normal. It's, it's going to happen even for the best of us. But the important thing is to move on from those mistakes in a way that doesn't put uh, the emotional labor on the client to, um, to make the person who made the mistake feel better. So what that means is that if a mistake happens, what you don't want to do is start in like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst person in the world. I can't believe I did that. Because then it makes the person in front of you be like, no, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. But if you can move on from mistakes quickly and acknowledge them, then you're able to notice what happened and your client is able to move on from that quickly as well. So if you make a mistake on a name or a pronoun or language, all you have to do is say, oh, I'm sorry, and correct yourself and then move on and learn from it for the next time so that you're not making those same mistakes
0: over and over again. I think that takes the pressure off a lot. Um, Great. Thank you. Yeah. And now for details. Yes, details.
1: So language is the number one way that trans and gender non-conforming folks know that you're safe, so it's incredibly important. And we also know that language changes a lot. Um, So it's hard to keep up with, as we know. So pronouns, I know everybody has a lot of questions about pronouns. Um, A person's real pronouns are the pronouns that they give you. And that goes for names as well. So whatever someone says their name and pronouns are, those are their name and pronouns. Everybody's familiar with he and she. We're, we're pretty solid on those. Um, gender neutral pronouns are a little trickier for people that aren't used to them. So in particular, the, the gender neutral pronoun of they is something that people get kind of tripped up on. So what they is, is there are a lot of folks who don't um, identify with male or female and they identify somewhere in the middle of the gender spectrum, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I assume. But the pronoun that feels like fits the best for them is often a pronoun that is a little bit more gender neutral than he or she, and they is the best one that we have in the English language. So there are others that are more recent words that have been made up, like here and Z, that people will use for a gender neutral pronoun. Those are way less common than they, so I'd be aware that other pronouns exist, but if you can get they down, you're, you're pretty solid so they, we just, we don't think about it too much in everyday language and we'll use it perfectly. But the minute that somebody says that their pronouns are they, people's tongues get tied. So we'll very easily say, oh yeah, I ran into Susie the other day at the store. They were buying milk. And that's not something that we think about. Um, but when somebody says my pronouns are they, suddenly everything becomes hard, um, Are there specific questions that you think people will have around gender-neutral pronouns?
0: Yes. What about cis, C-I-S? What does that refer to?
1: So cis isn't a pronoun. So cis is the opposite of trans. So cisgender means that your gender identity reflects the sex that you are assigned at birth. So if the doctor assigned you female at birth and you grew up and you say, yes, I am still a female, that is how I identify, then you would be considered cisgender. Someone who the doctor assigned, say, female at birth, and they grew up and say, you know what, no, actually, I feel like I'm a man, then they would be transgender. Cis is a Latin term that means on the same side as. Trans is a Latin term that means on the other side as. Um, And we have that word because we don't want to have trans people and normal people. And the same way that we don't want to have gay people and normal people or uh, homosexual people and normal people. So we have to have words that reflect all of the identities so one group doesn't get put into the normal box.
0: It's confusing. kind of forget about cis and just focus on what the person themselves wants to be called.
1: I would say that defaulting to they and them is a really good and affirming way when you're either not sure about somebody's pronouns or you've forgotten what they are to have a gender neutral space. So if you can make your everyday language a little bit more gender neutral, that's going to be the most affirming and welcoming thing that you can do. Um, So defaulting to they, I think, is a really good um, affirming thing, and it's also a good stall tactic if you don't know what people's pronouns are. Most people won't be offended if you use they and them. Most people won't even notice.
0: Let's talk about what kind of problems get presented to you in your work with transgender folks.
1: Sure. So I work a lot with gender and Sex and relationships. I'm a certified sex therapist. So that may color a little bit of the kind of population that I'm seeing within the trans population. But I see a lot of folks who are wanting to make some sort of transition. So people who are exploring their gender, who are in the process of coming out, who are in the process of trying to make decisions about whether or not they want to take hormones, or whether or not they want to pursue any sort of surgeries, um, and then just dealing with being trans in a world that doesn't always affirm that—it's difficult. Um, so I—I I see a lot of people working through that process. I also see a lot of co-occurring anxiety and trauma, and then I work with people on relationships and sex, in particular. Um, post coming out and how how are they dealing with relationships that have now changed and partners that maybe they've had for a long time that now they're having to adjust to this new reality um, and dealing with a new sexual landscape with bodies that are often going through a second puberty when people are going through hormone replacement therapy as well
0: We're in the middle of an interview with Rena McDaniel And I'm Barbara Alexander from On Good Authority. And this episode of my podcast is taken from my recent interview with Rena McDaniel. And continuing the interview, I asked her this. Now, if a person is homosexual, that is not the same as being trans. Correct.
1: So sexual orientation, that is who you're attracted to, who you want to sleep with, who you're romantic with, is a totally separate concept than gender identity. Sexual orientation is oriented out. Who is the other person? Uh, Gender identity is oriented in. Who am I? Um, How do I identify my own gender? How do I want to present that to the world? So they are overlapping in the sense that when someone transitions their gender, then there are questions often about, well, what about my sexual orientation Um, and there there hasn't been a ton of research on this but often people's sexual orientations will shift somewhat throughout transition not always Uh, so if you say a someone who was assigned male at birth is now identifying as a female um, but maybe got married to a woman when they were still identifying as male and transition does that mean that now they're gay if they're still in this relationship with a woman. And I would say that sexual orientation labels in particular are very personal and doesn't people get to decide those for themselves and it's not always cut and dry. So someone's sexual orientation is whatever they label it as, um, recognizing that that could be fluid and shift over time for some people.
0: So now... In my practice years ago, I saw a number of men who were transvestites, who, who only felt truly comfortable when they were dressed as women and could act as women. But they didn't necessarily want to change and go through the whole gender change. And now I'm wondering if they would have these days. I can't yeah. ever know, but I'm just curious about what you that's think That's a, a that.
1: really good question. And that's a really good um, kind of point back to language, too, is that this is one of the ways that language has changed, right? Transvestite is a term that was very readily used years ago. Um, and now, really, the only time that transvestite is a term that feels appropriate is if you're referring to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, so I think that cross-dressing, which is kind of the term that transvestite has morphed into, is cross-dressing, is it's a, I'm trying to think exactly how to say this, because there are still cross-dressers today that do not identify as trans. And so the way I would like to talk about cross-dressing is that a lot of people who cross-dress, especially in the past, might have had gender dysphoria that we would have diagnosed today or um, would be potentially interested in exploring their gender in more of a transgender realm. However, that isn't the case for everybody. So I would say I put cross-dressing as an umbrella term for people who like to and feel comfortable with dressing as women. And some of those people, that's all they want. They want to have that expression. They, they identify as male, but enjoy dressing in a more feminine way. Um, and those people would not identify as transgender even today. And then there's this other bucket of people who cross-dressed who today might fall into that transgender bucket or might be interested in exploring that further. Um, but it is a, a complicated topic, because I don't want to lump everybody who cross-dresses, either today or in the past, into the bucket of transgender.
0: You mentioned the gender spectrum, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to go into that, please, in some detail. Sure.
1: So we often think about uh, gender identity and uh, biological sex as uh, boxes, right? Male and female boxes. That's what we're taught. That's what we know. And I'm here to kind of bust up some of those boxes. So I think about gender as more of a spectrum in all of these areas. And we have several different spectrums here. So if you can imagine, say, a, um, a DJ booth where you have all of these different knobs that go up and down. they are all these sliders, but they operate independently of each other. That's kind of the image we're going for. They're sliders, but they operate independently. So the first slider is biological sex. So we're all taught that there's male and there's female. You know, you pop out of the womb and the doctor says it's a boy or it's a girl. And every once in a while, so we think, comes out somebody whose uh, genitals look slightly different. And so they identify as intersex. Um, it, we used to use the term hermaphrodite, that term is no longer used, um, so now the term is intersex or uh, differences in sexual development as well, CSD. What we know now from science is that, in fact, the number of people who genitals appear somewhat different than the typical male or female box, or chromosomally, or in, on the endocrine level, so hormonally, differ from the boxes that we assign male and female are roughly the amount of people in the world who are redheads or who are twins. So if we think about that, we've created an entire dichotomy of how we think about gender based on supposedly two biological sexes that is scientifically inaccurate. So if we made a If we listed all the hair colors and then we left out redheads, that wouldn't make very much sense. There's enough redheads. I'm a redhead that I would feel very left out, and there would be a giant uproar if we just left redheads out of the picture altogether when talking about hair color. But yet we do that when it comes to biological sex. We we leave a very large number of the population out by saying that there are only this binary male and female. So that's the first slider that I wanna talk about. The second slider is gender identity. So gender identity is how we feel about our own gender. So sex assigned at birth is the sex that the doctor said you are. So assigned female at birth, and then you grow up. And like we're talking about with cis and trans, you grow up and if you still identify as female, then you're cis. You, all of those things are congruent. If you go on, the doctor assigned you female at birth, and you say, you know what, no, that really doesn't fit for me, I actually identify as a male, then that is the other side of that slider, that is trans. And then in the middle are people who maybe the doctor assigned them female at birth, and they come out and they say, well, you know what, I don't really identify as female, that doesn't feel like it fits. But I also don't fully identify as male. Um, that, isn't, that doesn't really feel right either. I actually feel most comfortable identifying somewhere in the middle. And so those folks are genderqueer or gender fluid. There's a lot of other terms that people use. Those are a couple of the most common. And that's saying, You know, I'm non-binary. I don't fit in either one of those binary boxes of male or female, Um, but I I exist somewhere in the middle, and that feels good for me. And then gender expression is how you want to portray that gender to the world, and it, it might or might not match the gender or the sex that you were assigned at birth or your gender identity. So what that means is that, let's say someone was assigned female at birth, they still identify as female, that's their gender identity, but they, they hate things that are traditionally feminine, like long hair or dresses or heels. They don't want to wear those things. So they decide that they want to wear mostly menswear and cut their hair short. That's their gender expression. That's how they want to express their gender to the world. And in that case, it doesn't line up with what society says somebody who is assigned female at birth and still identifies as female is supposed to look like. And so that's where we get a lot of variation in how people express themselves, because that doesn't have to necessarily line up with who they feel they are internally, their gender identity, or what the doctor said they were when they popped out of the parent's womb.
0: So then after, uh, on the continuing on the spectrum, after gender expression, then what?
1: So after gender expression, we're done with gender spectrums. Um, so that's, oh. those are all the spectrums there. That's only three. Oh. Um, Beyond that, we have sexual orientation spectrums, which I'm not going to get into except to say that they're just different than gender spectrums, like I said before.
0: Now that puzzles me. Okay. Tell me why. Well, you are female biologically, and yet you are happier, more comfortable dressing in a way that is more masculine, let's say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very hard not to think in categories. It's very, it is difficult, very difficult not to think. Yeah. But would you call a, a, that person, would that person be bisexual?
1: So that is where that difference between sexual orientation and gender identity is really stark. So what somebody wears and what they, how they want to express themselves has nothing to do with their sexuality. So when you say bisexual, you're talking about someone's sexuality, who they're attracted to, who they want to sleep with. That has nothing to do with how that person dresses or how they identify their gender. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, very much so. It's an an intense subject. It's so hard to step away from the binary male-female. It's just... And it, I I would think that in English it would be different than in let's say Spanish, where even tables and chairs are designated as with female or male. Um, yeah,
1: it's very difficult in languages that gender things in that way. That's why we're seeing you might see uh Latin X in the media coming up. That term is meant to try to take away the uh, gendering of Spanish. Um, so if you see X on the end of things, that is right now people's attempt to try to reduce the amount of gendering in languages that are just naturally gendered male and female.
0: That was Rena McDaniel and I'm Barbara Alexander. I interviewed Miss McDaniel for my continuing education company On Good Authority, which you can find at www.OnGoodAuthority.com On Good Authority has over 200 interviews on a wide variety of topics in the field of mental health. Each episode of the On Good Authority podcast will feature excerpts from one or more of my interviews. On next week's episode, we'll hear what Rena McDaniel has to say about the issues that elderly transgender folks run into.
1: One of the biggest issues that older transgender individuals face is housing discrimination. So whether or not they're in a nursing home or an assisted living uh, home currently, getting into one, often people will feel like they have to be re-closeted, even if they've been out for years, because they're afraid of being discriminated against and not getting a housing placement. So
0: that's a big concern in that population. That's Rena McDaniel, and I'm Barbara Alexander. I hope you'll join me next week for that interview. And by the way, I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments about this program and any ideas you might have for future programs. My email address is info at ongoodauthority.com. And if you or someone you know would like to earn continuing education credit for listening to these podcasts, go to www.ongoodauthority.com for complete information. So until next time, this is Barbara Alexander thanking you for listening.